For those who embark on the path of the weird and eerie, where every question asked is a new beginning, and the tendrils of the phenomenon are woven into the mighty cords of procession, continue on, for when all is at its end, you will find the truth swinging at the creaking ropes of destiny. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Creaking Ropes of Destiny. As always, I'm your host, Kenneth. So grateful you could join me for another week. If you feel so obligated, please like, share, rate, review, anything that'll help the show out is greatly appreciated. If you want to send in a listener experience or maybe even just want to get on and talk about some stuff, please contact me at crod at the Creaking Ropes of Destiny podcast.com. That link is in the show notes, along with the links to Instagram, Facebook, the website. All that should be in the show notes. So this week, I am going to talk about the Velisca Axe murders. Now, I'm not going to go into immense detail on what happens because it is a very brutal case, but I will go into certain details about crime scene, um, suspects, things like that, as well as some correlations to a couple other cases that happened right before Velisca. Now, living in Iowa, the Velisca Axe murders are like the biggest unsolved cold case crime in Iowa history. And everybody knows about them. Um, so this is a topic I've, I've really wanted to do. I do like true crime, um, but I'm not going to go into the detail that other podcasts do. If you want to know about more with the Bliska Axe murders, um, check out Morbid. Elaine and Ash do a great job on that podcast. I love listening to it. IowaColdCases.org has all the information on Bliska. And then there is also The Man from the Train. By Bill James, that is where he goes into all the other cases that have happened and his theories about it basically being one serial killer that has that traveled the country in the late 1800s, early 1900s, committing all these vicious acts. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to get into a lot of the gory details. So I'm just going to give a, a trigger warning right now. Um, if you want to skip ahead a little bit, Feel free to. The Velisca Axe murders and the couple other cases I'm, I'm going to cover on this episode. All of the victims were bludgeoned with the backside of an axe. At Velisca, they actually say that Sarah was the only one that was hit with the sharp side of the axe. In all the cases, at some point in time, at least one of the bodies was moved or staged. And that's really all I'm going to go into it. So we'll go ahead and start off with Velisca, even though this happens after the other cases I'm going to talk about. Obviously, I'm talking about Velisca, so let's start with it. So the Moore family of Josiah B. Moore, his wife Sarah, and then their children, Herman, who was 11, Mary, who was 10, Arthur was 7, Paul was 5, and Josiah was 43, and Sarah was 39. And then along with them were Ina Mae Stillinger and Lena Stillinger, 
8 and 12 respectively. So on about the night of June 9th, 1912, discovery happens on the 10th. The Moore family and then the the, the Stillinger sisters are found on the 10th murdered in the Moore house. The night before, the family was at a Presbyterian church event that actually Sarah helped organize. And it was there that uh, the, the two Stillinger sisters were invited to stay the night. So on the morning of June 10th, they say probably around 7 a.m., the Moore neighbor, Mary Peckham, looks out and notices that nobody is up and moving about. Now, this was not a typical thing to have happen at that time because, I mean, they had animals. It was They, they, they had chores that needed to be done. So Mary notices that they're not up, thinks maybe they're sleeping in. There was a church event the night before. So she just does the neighborly thing and starts doing some of their chores, you know, feeding the animals, the chickens, the cows, all that. But as the morning progresses, she starts getting worried and she calls Josiah's brother, Ross, to come over. He's got a a key to get in. And so that's what he does. And once he gets in, he, he witnesses the tragedy that has happened. Um, they immediately call for the police. And mind you, this is 1912 in a small town. None of the constables or anything have ever had to deal with this. And there, there's no... CSI, there's no FBI, there's nobody they can call to really to help come in. At that point in time, what they would do was when, when something like this would happen, a local community would raise money and then hire an, a private investigator from a national firm to come in and help with the investigation. And there are just certain aspects about the case that really seemed odd. So first off, they, they figure that whoever perpetrated this had actually entered the house when the Moors were gone. And because of cigarette butts they find in the attic, they assume this person hid in the attic. Um, Others think that they hid in the shed. And then once everything, everyone had gone to sleep, they entered through a window. The ax was on the property. It was the, it was the Moors ax that was used. There was a four pound slab of back fat bacon that had been pulled out of the ice box and was found next to the ax. There was a bowl of water where it appears that the person actually washed their hands after they were done. There was food. I've heard, I've heard like a sandwich or something, but there was food that was out. Like the person came in and, and made food after all this. All the windows were covered to keep the light out. Mirrors were covered. The victims' faces were covered. Very, you know, this is very reminiscent of, of the MO of, of a serial killer, basically. And all the doors were locked. So this house is, is roughly like a mile or so from the train tracks. And that's going to come in later. But ju- just understand that this was kind of like the outskirts. I mean, all this commotion is going on. And one thing that leads to a lot of speculations towards victims and towards who might have done this 
relies on... So the night before, on the 9th, the township and the utility company had kind of been having a, a little bit of a back and forth. And the utility company actually shut off the gas lights. Basically, at this point in time, like street lights were ran by gas. And the utility company had cut off the gas to the street lights because of this back and forth they've been having with the township. So that's why some people think that maybe it was Josiah Moore's old boss, Frank Jones, had something to do with it because Josiah had been working for him at like an implement and hardware store. And then Josiah left and opened up his own business. And when he did leave, he took the John Deere account with him. Even today, a John Deere account is huge. I mean, basically, without that account, Josiah probably wouldn't have even been able to open his own business. So Frank Jones is up there, and then Reverend George Kelly. Now, Reverend Kelly was more of a, a traveling reverend, and there are reports that on the 10th, he left, got on a train, and people heard him talking about the murders before the bodies had even been discovered. Kelly actually goes to trial twice for this. The first time it is a hung jury, and the second time he is acquitted. The second jury with the, the acquittal came back when all these people had been saying things about how he was at the train station the very next day, you know, before the bodies were discovered, talking about it. Um, and then when they actually went back and did a little investigation, they found out that that was most likely not what happened. People were confused on days, and it was actually up to a week after everyone knew what was going on that he had talked about it. And also, um, at the scene, they found an oil lamp that had, they would call it the chimney, the glass chimney removed, and that would allow the gas lamp to put off a dimmer light, which would allow a person to sneak around a little bit better. Now we get back to The Man from the Train by Bill James. Now this stuff happened just the year before Velisca. The first one, San Antonio. It's March 21st, March 22nd of 1911. The Cassaways. Louis Cassaway. So, you know, roughly he, he's late 40s, early 50s. So Louis Cassaway. His wife, Elizabeth, and then their children, Josie, who was age six, Louise, age three, and then Alfred at five months, are found on the 22nd in their house. Exact same thing with Velisca. As well as like with Velisca, the windows were covered, bodies were covered, a bowl of bloody water, an oil lamp with the chimney removed. So all of the M.O., is right there. And even though at the time San Antonio is bustling, so like a population of about a hundred thousand people where the castaways lived was more on the outskirts and their house was actually like four tenths of a mile from the train track. And then you go further, a little, little further down the line. And this is in, September 17th and 18th of 1911 in Colorado Springs. 
it's a double event and the houses are like right next to each other. So in one house, you have Henry Wayne, his wife, Blanche, and their two-year-old daughter, Lula May. And then in the other half, you have Alice May Barnum and then her children, three and six. I could not find the names of those immediately. Um, same things. Houses are locked. Windows are covered. Bowls of water out where obviously somebody had washed their hands. A scene of nothing but moral ineptitude had happened. Bill James discusses these because it really does appear like the M.O. is so consistent that it would probably have to be a serial killer, basically. And in, in the book, Man from the Train, he, he, he's got a lot more cases. I just These were all close together, and so I, I just kind of want to bring that in because I think when, when we get to, when I get to discussing maybe some of the paranormal aspects that are said to now occur at Villisca, that it, it may also relate to some other things going on at these other sites. So Bill James, in his book, The Man from the Train, ends up, so Bill James goes and he starts talking about Paul Mueller. Um, it could be Miller, possibly. He was an immigrant from Germany. So the last name, they aren't 100% sure what it technically was. But either way, this man, Bill James, just kind of lays out there that he very well could be not only the person involved with all these cases, but these other ones he's talking about, as well as the Hinterfact case in Germany that happens in 1922, which once again is very, very similar to what has happened in Villisca in San Antonio and Colorado Springs. And he does, he does make a, a pretty good argument for this being the case. Now I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of the paranormal aspects that are happening in this part. That's kind of what I want the second part to be. I'm hoping to have a guest on that will talk about it. Villisca is definitely a place I would love to go to and do an overnight investigation. Me and a couple other content creators have actually talked about it. If you are interested or you think you want to take a tour because they do give tours of the house as well, and you're going to be in that area, uh, ch check out their website. Um, you can find out all your information there. I will put that website in the show notes as well. I will tell you that on the overnights, they do not allow more than five people, mainly because it's a small house. Any more than that, and it's not only is it going to be crowded, but it is also going to be very loud. So if you just got a couple people and, and you're in the area, by all means, go, go check out a tour or something. It, it, it's a very interesting case. So in the next part, obviously, we're going to talk about some of the some of the hauntings that have happened, some of the investigations that have happened. Um, hopefully, if I can get my guest on, he's got a couple things he can talk about and then just kind of get into a discussion of, you know, how much of it is stone tape theory and and whether or not a person spreading <clears throat> all this tragedy across miles and miles and, and possibly in various countries can affect the potency of a haunting or how, how that might affect. 
So I, I think this next episode is going to be really good. I hope everybody enjoyed just this little fact episode to kind of give that gives the groundwork for what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Thank you once again for being here to all the mothers. I hope you had a great mother's day and then to everybody. I hope your upcoming week is wonderful. I hope mine's wonderful. Won't know till it ends, but we'll find out. And other than that, just thank you for being here and listening once again. And just remember, keep searching for the truth, swinging at the creaking ropes of destiny.